Good morning. It's good to be here with you this morning. Like Greg said, my wife and I are missionaries in Ukraine. We live in a city called Kagarlik, where I co-pastor a church, and um, ministries involve you know stuff in the church as well as book publishing ministry. Um, I oversee Illumin Media, um, which is a publishing ministry that a friend of mine and I started several years ago. Um, you guys actually participated in one of the projects we did called Bibles for Orphans. We have a couple of slides. We were able, um, over the last couple of years, to um, print the Jesus Storybook Bible in Ukrainian. Um, that's what it looks like. Um, Calvary Soul raised, I think, about a fifth or a sixth of the amount of the money that we needed to do this project. So you guys helped out a ton. We were able to um, raise enough money to print 9,000 copies of that to give to orphans throughout Ukraine, which basically meant that about one-third or more of the orphans in Ukraine now have a Jesus Storybook Bible in their language that they can read. So, so thank you, Calvary Slow, for your guys' support in that and for praying and for all of what you guys did. It was awesome. And I'd just like to encourage you to continue to pray for these kids that have these Bibles, that the Holy Spirit would open their hearts, that they would see Jesus and know Jesus through this, and that God would save a third or more of the orphans in Ukraine. So thank you for that. Um, the guys from the Halle Project, if you guys know Ben Potter and Tyler Wolford, they shoot videos and make awesome videos and have a project called Halle where they film ministries throughout the world and help promote them. They did a video for Enluma Media that I'd like to show you right now because it kind of shows a good picture of Ukraine, kind of gives you a glimpse of what Ukraine looks like as well as kind of imparts a bit of a vision of our ministry in Ukraine. So we're going to show a short video and then I'll, we'll get into God's word together. and post-Soviet countries are really lacking in accessible quality resources that help to help churches grow. It's a huge need in our churches, and because of that, we started in Lumen Media to try to address that need. So much of what is available in Russia and Ukraine is morality-based or um, prosperity-driven. We want to change that. We want to see churches grow. We want to see Christians love Jesus, spread the gospel throughout the Russian-speaking world. We want people to have access to quality, affordable books that help them to love Jesus more, to see the gospel as central to all of their lives, to see the supremacy of God in all things. and I've been volunteering and working for Illumin for more than five years now and I love what we do because by the grace of God we're able to spread Christ exalting and God-centered resources not only in Ukraine but also in Russia and Belarus and some other post-Soviet republics and I've seen in my life how God used the Bible and God used the books that I was reading 
you know, to teach me about himself and see his supremacy and his sovereignty. And I remember every time I was reading a book, and I was an English major, so I could read books in English. Every time I would read a book that I got from Jake or some other missionaries, I thought it would be so cool if we had this book in Russian so that my friends or my family could enjoy it. And when Jake told me that he was saving his money to start this publishing ministry, I was so excited because it was like a dream come true for me. books uh, because God gave me this particular love for the word both written and spoken and I know that he chose this as a means of communicating his truth to us and that's why I love that we tell people uh, share the, their faith and knowledge of God in the Russian language. So in addition to simply printing and publishing books, we also are working on theological training resources for churches, audio and video material for sermons. We're publishing articles on the internet to, for people to be able to freely access as much um, resources as we can possibly get to them. We hope to partner together with like-minded ministries to see more resources available to bless the Russian-speaking church as a whole. And provide our resources as affordable as possible and we hope to get them in people's hands. We want to see people know Jesus more, love him more, and live for his glory. And we want to see books in people's hands that are accessible, affordable, and uh, helpful. Because our goal is to build up the church. Our goal is to equip believers so that they can in turn spread the gospel to other people in their communities. So thanks to the Halle Project for putting that video together. You may have noticed in the video that um, the gospel is very prominent in our vision for ministry and in the books that we print. And the reason for this is because the gospel is not only something that we hear once or that we tell somebody who doesn't know Jesus. It's something that we live by. It's something that transforms us and something that's very important in our daily lives. And I'd like to share with you this morning uh, why that is. The gospel is good news. You know, we use that word very often, but we don't often actually realize that the meaning of that word is good news. We could say it just in plain English without using a funny word for it. And the news is, is what God has done through Jesus, what God through Jesus Christ has accomplished for us and offers us through the Holy Spirit. It's very simply, it's news about what Jesus has done. So I want to open our Bibles today to Colossians chapter 1 and just kind of see an overview of what this news is. What has been accomplished? What's, what has been done for us? So let's open to Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to read from verses 13 through 23. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can follow along on the screen. So starting in verse 13, we read, He, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness... And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So what I want to do now is kind of go through just a quick list of what this good news is that Paul gave us, and just kind of explain it a little bit, and then look at more what this all means to how we live our lives. So first we see in these verses, we see that God delivered us from the domain of darkness. We were under the authority of darkness. In other places, like the book of Romans, Paul, Paul writes that we were slaves. We were in bondage to sin, but God delivered us. That's kind of the starting point of the gospel is our need for deliverance. We have been transferred into the kingdom of God's son. So we were in one kingdom. We've been transferred into a new kingdom. Darkness and sin no longer have authority in our lives. They may be present, but they have no authority over us. Now, as we go further, we see in God's Son, we have redemption. We've been bought back. Our sins have been forgiven. What we have done wrong has been forgiven us. Our freedom has been obtained. Our pardon has been purchased for us so that we could be transferred from darkness into light. And all of this implies that we need a Savior. It doesn't come out and just say, we need a Savior. Here's the answer. It implies it, that we are in need of forgiveness, that we're in the wrong kingdom, that we're slaves to darkness, that we're enemies of God. This is the state of mankind. It's the backdrop for the gospel. And against this dark backdrop, the gospel stands out as good news. And so we see that Jesus, God's son, is the image of the invisible God. By him we can know God. He comes to show us who God is. To show those who are in darkness light that we may know who our creator is. He's the firstborn over all creation. All creation is his. It was made by him and for him. Everything that exists in this world and and in heaven belongs to him. All kingdoms, all domains, all rulers, all people, all plants, all animals, everything that exists belongs to jesus and he holds it all together he's the head of all things he's the head of the church the first to rise from the dead into eternal life so that he could be above all things and be seen for what he is the one who has preeminence over all and in jesus in the son of god the fullness of god was pleased to dwell so we see that all that god is all his fullness everything that makes god god is in jesus And Jesus' plan is to reconcile to himself all things, both on earth and in heaven. And his plan for reconciliation is to make peace by shedding his own blood. Peace was paid for by the death of the one in whom the fullness of God dwells, the one who has preeminence, the very son of God. The price for peace was very, very expensive. And Paul goes on to say why that is. Because we were alienated from God. We were hostile to God in our minds. And in our deeds, we were evil. But now we've been reconciled and brought to him. That's been paid for. We've received 
the payment of his death for us and that price that was paid for our reconciliation shows the degree of our offense. And the goal of that reconciliation is for us to be holy, for us to be blameless before him and above reproach in Jesus. In other words, the goal is total transformation. We who are hostile, evil, would be holy and blameless before him and completely transformed. And all this God promises to do and says will happen if we don't shift from the hope of that gospel, which we heard and has been proclaimed throughout all creation. So it's very important to stay in the hope of the gospel, which is why I believe that we need the gospel in our daily lives. And I have three reasons today why we need the gospel in our daily lives. And the first one is because the gospel forces us to confront our sin. And it does this in two ways. The first way is that it reveals God's righteousness and his love to us as a standard. It it opens up our eyes to who God is, to his glory, his righteousness, and his high standard. And by doing that, it reveals to us our unrighteousness and our need for a savior. So it confronts what we think about who we are by showing us who God is and what he had to do to save us. The gospel says, to paraphrase Tim Keller, that we are more lost, more broken, more self-centered, more self-righteousness, proud and self-justifying than we ever would think. And in contrast to that, God is more gracious, more merciful and more loving than we could ever imagine. We don't like to think that we are all that bad. We don't like to think that our sin is really that bad, that what we've done, that the desires of our hearts, our hostile minds really deserve eternal punishment. But Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart of man is desperately wicked. Our hearts aren't just a little bit bad. We haven't just done a couple bad things. We don't just make some bad decisions in our life and need some help to be better people. Because of that, the gospel is not a set of rules to be followed to have a good life. It doesn't tell us if you do these things, you'll have a good life, you'll get a good job, you'll have a good family, you'll get good grades, you won't have problems. Rather, it's news to be believed. And received by faith. And the news is that we have a really big problem. The news is that we have sin in our lives. Sin has broken us, warped our hearts and our desires, enslaved us to its passions, and brought us into its curse. It separated us from the God who we were created to live in fellowship with, and it killed us spiritually. The gospel shows us that when it shows us God's righteousness and his holiness shows us that we do not compare to that. We have a huge problem. And the result of that sin in our lives is that we don't need a list of things to do better, to have a better life. We need a new resurrection. We need a resurrection. We need a new life. We need healing. We need to become unwarped. We need our desires to be changed. So when we read John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life, we see that the implication is that everyone who doesn't believe in Jesus will perish. They won't just have, you know, things not go as well for them in, this, in their lives and, you know, not have as great of lives. They'll perish. The picture is very bleak for us without Jesus. But the gospel is good news. It's joyful news because it, it tells us that because our plight is so bleak, Jesus came to take our place. Jesus came to save us from 
that place. He took our place in judgment and gives us his righteousness and his Holy Spirit to transform us. The gospel tells us that we can't fix things in our lives. We can't stop being bad people on our own. And that's why we need Jesus, because he can fix us and he can change our hearts. And so we need the gospel to be proclaimed in our daily lives because we need to be reminded about how much we need Jesus. We need Jesus to bring us closer to God because we can't approach God on our own. We need Jesus to help us forgive others because we can't do that on our own. We need Jesus to help us to not desire sinful things because we can't do that on our own. We need the gospel because it doesn't give us room to say, I'm really not that bad. I'm not doing that poorly, and I'm doing a lot better than most people. It, it, give, it doesn't give us any room to say things like that. It confronts our sin and says, that sin that you think isn't really that bad meant that, the, that Jesus Christ, the one who created everything, the one who was preeminence over all creation, he came and he had to suffer and die to pay for that sin that you don't think is very bad. So it gives us no room to bargain and say, well, what about this or what about that? It it gives us no room to justify our actions and say, well, you see, I only did it because of this. It only allows for one response. That's repentance and trust in Jesus to save us from those sins and to transform us so that we would be holy and blameless before him. So that's the first reason why we need the gospel in our daily lives, because it confronts our sins. It tells us who we actually are. And it tells us how Jesus wants to change us. The second reason is that the gospel gives us comfort. We need the gospel in our daily lives because it comforts us. If you'd open with your, in your Bible, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to read a few verses there. You know, as the gospel shines light on our sin and calls us to turn away from sin to the one true God, it also explains to us why the world around us is the way it is. Because, you know, why is this... There is sin, and and things go wrong. Things aren't great. The gospel tells us the world is broken and fallen just the same as we are. The sin that held us captive, the domain of darkness in this world, is the very thing that separated us from God, and it's the very thing that is the source of all suffering, all sorrow, and all evil in this world. So if you're in Romans, or if you just want to look at the screen, we're going to read starting in verse 19. Just read a few of these verses. We see, For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself would be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. All of this world has been subjected to futility in hope that one day it would be redeemed and purchased back. All creation groans and waits for the day when the Son of God returns to claim what he purchased with his death, what he paid for, what he bought. All of creation, not just us. The whole world is trapped in the curse of sin. Death, disease, pain, and suffering. All of these things are the result of sin in this world. 
And as long as there is sin in this world, there will be pain. There will be suffering and life will be difficult. That is the futility that creation has been subjected to. But this section tells us something that's very important. And it tells us that God knows what is going on, what is happening, what is going to happen, and he is in control. He subjected creation to futility in hope that creation will be set free from its bondage. Not in hope that, you know, well, maybe everything will work out okay if we just put the right things in place. You know, well, it'll be, it's futile now, but if we can get the right things in motion, maybe everything will work out and there is some hope in the end. It's not that kind of hope. He subjected to futility in hope that the end of his plan, which would be fulfilled, would be that his son would come and purchase it back and set it free. That his plan would be fulfilled. That's the hope that he subjected creation to futility for. From the beginning of the Bible, we read that God is fulfilling his plan to make a people for himself by redeeming them from their sins and bringing them into his family. Or as we read in Colossians just now, he's reconciling the world to himself. That's his plan. That's what God is doing. And that plan will be fulfilled. And the pain and the suffering of, so the pain and the suffering of this world, it's not pointless and it's not outside of God's control. He knows about it. He subjected us to this in hope that we would be set free from it one day. And he has a plan for it and in it. But everything, but this fallen world is a result of sin. The fallen world still has hope, even though sin has warped it and broken it, caused suffering and evil, because into all of that, God looked down with love and loved this world and sent, said, I love my creation and I will send my son to redeem it. I'm going to share a little kind of personally with you some things that my wife and I have been going through over the last couple of years. I don't want to sound like I'm complaining or wanting you to feel sorry for me, but the gospel has helped us over the last couple of years through probably the most difficult things we've gone through in our lives. And I hope that you'll, through this, you kind of see, you know, how, how important the gospel is in suffering and in pain. A couple of years ago, I began to get headaches every day and couldn't figure out why. We've since figured out that it's adrenal fatigue. And it basically meant that for about a year and a half, I was completely exhausted and would get a headache every day. And no one could figure out why or what to do or how to fix it or how to get better. Um, sometimes it would be better than others, but pretty much every single day. Um, I kind of got numb to life and to everything that was going on around us because of the constant pain. And during that time, Lise got pregnant, and we were really excited. <laughs> so it was like some, something good was happening. And we found out, um, and it was just a you know, bright light in the dark time of being sick all the time. But then we found out that our baby had anencephaly. And that means it's a birth defect, which means it wouldn't be able to live outside the womb if it made it to term. And it probably wouldn't. Um, he ended up not making it to term. Um, and after we lost our child, we, kind of, we entered into a really dark time in our lives during which I was sick, tired, um, you know, just depression and not really able to see out of it of what is the bigger picture that God's doing or, you know, what is the purpose or meaning, nothing like that, just nothing. 
during that time, I just got more and more sick, and eventually we had to come back to the States for a sabbatical to try to figure out how to get better. And the doctors find, finally figured out I had adrenal fatigue and started treating that, and I started feeling better. As we went back to Ukraine, we went through a really difficult situation with some close friends of ours that left us just, again, emotionally exhausted and drained. And during all of that, it seemed like time after time when I would just be tired or completely exhausted or emotionally drained, God kept putting me in places where I had to teach people about the gospel. You know, not just I have to share the gospel with someone on the street, but where we're actually going to sit down and talk about all of these themes of the gospel and how to keep it central to our lives. Whether it was a Sunday morning church service, a small discussion group, the book projects we were doing, or home groups, over and over it seemed God just maneuvered me and put me into a place where I had to tell people about how the gospel affects our lives. So when I felt broken because we found out that our child wasn't going to live, I had to go do a home group with people and talk about the gospel. I felt empty as an emotional and physical pain. And God put me in a place where I had to tell people and we had to just discuss about how Jesus came and took our pain. He came to be like us. He came and was with us. He took his sin, our sins upon himself. He saved us by his grace and not by all the great things that we can do, which meant that I was saved by grace, not the things which I didn't have the strength or energy to do. He saved us because we were weak in order to make us strong. It seemed like over and over I had to talk about how the love of God was shown to us and that while we were still sinners and broken and hurting and in pain, God demonstrated his love by dying for us. He didn't wait until we could try harder, until we'd started making better decisions or got better at life. He looked at our feeble attempts at righteousness. He looked at our pain. He looked at all that had gone wrong in our lives and did something we never would imagine. He came down to us in our pain. He entered into our story. He entered into our world of brokenness, our world of problems, and became weak like us to be with us. Usually when we're in pain, when there's just sharp pain or constant pain, we just want that pain to end. I know that that's me. Maybe not you, but I want my powerful God to just say the word and take the pain away. It's like, God, you can raise people from the dead. You can heal leprosy. Can you just take the pain away? Make everything good again. But God knows what's better. And instead of just making everything okay for us, he, he comes to us in our pain. And that's what the gospel is about, about Jesus coming to us and accomplishing something for us. Instead of just giving us good, happy, pain-free, comfortable lives, God came to us in our pain to be near us, to show us his great love for us, because he knows that our biggest need isn't for everything to just be okay. That's what we often feel, that our biggest need is for just our problems to be solved. He knows that our biggest need is for sin to be rooted out of our evil hearts, for our affections to be changed, so that we love the creator, not the creation, for our desires to change, so that we desire what is good and right and not the things of this world that our lying hearts tell us is better. So God comes to us and shows us what is better. Shows us that his love is better, that his grace is better. He shows us that by his sacrifice on the cross, he has redeemed our suffering and will one day work it for good for us. That our suffering is not meaningless and pointless, but that it has a purpose within his plan. Jesus was born into our broken world. 
He knows all the pain we know. He knows all of the suffering we know. He knows what it's like to be separated from parents, to be in excruciating pain, to be rejected, to be humiliated. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood, to have no home, to be hated, to be poor. He knows all of the things that we go through. And so God's love comes to us in our suffering and it offers us good news. Better news than we would actually want to hear. It says, I have redeemed you. I've bought you back. I've conquered this sin that has warped and twisted and caused this pain. So that in my justice, I can turn it into good in you and for you. I've paid so that sin will not win. Sin will not have the final say in your life. I've paid so that you can be free. And so that your heart can be set free to love and desire that which is good. And not settle for the worthless lies of this world. Jesus says, I'm bigger than suffering. I'm stronger than sin. And things are going according to my plan. Because the state of our heart, because of the state of our hearts, our biggest need is never for pain to just go away, for circumstances to change, or for life to just get better. Our biggest need is always that we would learn to reject the sinful lies of our hearts and believe the truth of our go- of the gospel. And God knows what we need, and what is best for us. He's best for us. He told Abraham in Genesis that he, that. He said, I am your great reward. It's not the promised land that God said, if you go out of the land of your fathers and I'll lead you to this land that I will give to you. It's not the children that he promised when he said, I'll give it to your children and your children's children. It's not the blessing where he said, blessing, I will bless you and so on and so forth. He said, not all of those things. I'm going to do all those things, but those are not your great reward. I am your great reward. God knows that if we want to be full, If we want to be whole, if we want to have joy, if we want peace, the only place that we'll find that is in him. Because joy and peace and fullness and happiness, they don't come from our circumstances. They only come from God. So when we're broken, when we're suffering, when we're sorrowing, when we're grieving, God doesn't say, come to me and I'll fix your circumstances. I'll make everything okay. He says, I paid the ultimate price so that you could be with me forever. And in these hard things that you're going through right now, I'm right beside you. I know your pain. I know your sorrow. I know your troubles. I will lead you through them. And one day... When the king returns, you will join in with all of creation and rejoice as he wipes away every tear from your eye as you're given a new body and as pain and sorrow finally pass away. The gospel comforts us because it takes our eyes off of ourselves and it directs our gaze to Jesus and to God's grace and love that would send his only son to suffer and die to bring us into eternal joy. And we know we can have assurance that if Jesus was willing to become like us and suffer and go through all the things that we're going through, then he will lead us through. He's not just going to leave us and allow us to be in pain for no reason. He will be with us and he will redeem it. Which brings us to the last point. So the gospel forces us to confront our sin. It gives us comfort. And lastly, it gives us hope. 
In proclaiming what Jesus Christ has done for us in the past, the gospel points us to the future when Jesus will return. The gospel gives us assurance of the future, and that assurance is based upon the finished work of Christ. If you still have your Bibles open to Romans 8, let's look down at verse 18, or up, wherever you're at. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. That's right before he talks about creation being subjected to futility, all of these things that go on in our lives, all that sin has done, the sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing. They don't stand up, they don't measure up to what the good that will be revealed. And look down at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The gospel proclaims what Jesus has accomplished for us, what he has done in us, what he promises to do in us, what he works in us, and it gives us hope that everything is going according to God's plan. And that God's plan is for glory for us and for good for us. The end of our story is not defeat. It's not pain. It's not grief. It's not losing everything. Those things happen in life. They're part of our story. They're chapters in our stories. But they're not the end of our story. The end of our story is glory. The end of our story is that the king will come and he'll set everything right. And as our stories unfold, as they go from one chapter to the next, God is working all things together for our good. Because whatever we go through, whatever happens to us in our lives, whatever circumstances may be in our lives, Jesus has redeemed it. And will work it into his plan for our good. This applies not just to the hardships, the difficult things, the suffering that we go through, but it applies to our daily lives as well. The gospel gives us hope in our daily lives because, of the, Spirit, because the Spirit of Jesus Christ dwells in us and transforms us day by day. And so because of that, because of what Jesus has accomplished in paying for our sin, in conquering sin, and in giving us his righteousness, we can have hope in the little things in life, in our battles with sin. Jesus defeated sin for us so that we could overcome it in his strength. His spirit lives within us, gives us life, and helps us to desire him above the lies that sin tells us. And we can have hope that we'll overcome the sin in our lives, we'll overcome the sin in our hearts, we'll overcome our evil desires because our victory is dependent upon Jesus. It's not dependent upon how hard we try. It's not dependent upon what good things we can do to make up for the bad things. Our victory is not dependent upon how strong we are. It's dependent upon how strong Jesus was for us when he, paid, when he defeated sin. That's, that's why we need the gospel to rights, and it gives us hope. There's hope when we're struggling with sin, we can't seem to overcome it. Jesus says, I paid for that sin, and I will lead you in victory. You can trust me. Not just sin. It gives us hope in other areas of our lives. It gives us hope in our relationships with people. Jesus died because we're broken. And he makes us whole. 
And part of being made whole is in how we relate to one another. Sin distorts how we relate to one another. It warps us and breaks us, and we hurt each other. We fracture our relationships. And the gospel says there's healing for that. The gospel says that's the reason that Jesus came to die. That is sin. Sin caused that. And Jesus came to redeem it. To buy back what sin had done and make it good. To work all things together for good. To make us whole in all areas of our lives. Little by little. And it gives us hope. That gives us hope in our daily lives in every little thing. That God is in control. That he works all things for good for those who love him because of what Jesus has done. It applies to work, to our jobs. It applies to missions, to spreading the gospel through the world. It applies to our families and how our kids are raised. It applies to the church. It applies to all of these things because all of these things are in God's control and they're part of his plan for our lives. So whether or not things go well in all these areas of our lives, our hope is in Jesus. It's good when everything turns out okay. It's good when our families are happy, when work is good, when we get good grades in school. It's good when everything is going well. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what God wants to do. But when they don't go well, when there are problems, God doesn't say, well, it just fell apart. I don't know what to tell you. He says, no. I know why all this is happening, and I love you. And I love you enough to not just say, well, let's change it. I want to change you. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to send my son to pay for the reason that all of these bad things happen. I'm going to buy them back and make them good. So the reason that we have hope it's not that we can just say, oh, it's going to turn out okay. The reason we can have hope is because, what Je- because of what Jesus has accomplished. Now, if we go back to the beginning where we talked about Jesus having preeminence, Jesus being the head of all things, the creator of all things, if he, the creator of all things, the one who holds all things together, if he was willing to come down and partake in our pain, and our suffering, to die for us and take our place, then we have to believe that that's not all that he was willing to do. That he will bring us through. That he wasn't just going to say, all right, I did it all, now it's your turn. You go ahead. We have to believe that if he was willing to, to complete our salvation, that he'll lead us through everything. So we can have hope when we look at Jesus and see who he is, the Son of God, creator, in him whom all the fullness of God dwells, when we see what he has done, we can have hope because of what he's done. That he's not just going to leave us in our pain. He's not just going to leave us in our sin. He's not just going to leave us in our problems. He's not just going to leave us as we are. He's going to transform us. He's going to present us blameless and holy before himself. In glory. And that's why we need the gospel every day. Because we need to be reminded of that every day. That's why we need to spread the gospel around the world. It's good news. It's, it's the best news. That God looks at us in love and says, I'm not just going to leave you the way that you are. I'm going to come to you and I'm going to transform you and I'm going to be with you. 
It's news that's good enough to share with people around you. It's news that's worth taking to the world to spread throughout Ukraine, to spread throughout San Luis, to spread throughout Africa. It's worth speaking and proclaiming and sharing. And it's worth remembering every day. It's worth bringing up and saying, God, today, the gospel tells me that I'm weak, that I'm sinful, and I have huge problems. But it also tells me that you're my answer to all those things. So today, I trust in you. Today, when things don't go well, I trust that you will work it for good. Today, when things do go well, I trust that that's your plan, working things for good. We need the gospel to remind us of that daily. We need the gospel to confront the evil desires of our hearts. We need the gospel to comfort us when we're in pain. And we need the gospel to give us hope. I'd like to end by praying with you this morning. Um, There's people in the back if you guys want to pray. We're going to have the worship band come up and play some songs. Um, People in the back have little tags that said they'll pray with you or whatever. If you if you would like to have to pray to respond to what God has done in, in repentance and in joy and in whatever, if you just need someone to pray for you, this is a great time to do that. There's communion if you would like to partake and to draw near to Jesus's suffering and get, and um, death for you. But I'd like to just pray now and to just enter into a time of worship and song. I just encourage you to to look at Jesus and just look at what he has done in his glory and his love for you and to allow him to shine his light into your heart on those things that you desire more than you desire him, to shine his light into those sins that you think aren't really that bad and allow him to transform you and ask him to transform you and trust that he will. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that, that, that shows us your gospel the gospel that you sent to us as you sent us your son. We thank you that you did not just leave us in our sins and in our problems, but that you came to us. Jesus, we thank you for, for, for coming to us and for suffering alongside us so that we could have comfort as someone who knows what we're going through. We thank you for taking our sins upon yourself so that you could wash us pure by your blood. We thank you that you, you give us hope that you will lead us through everything. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that you give us to dwell within us and transform our hearts. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would, you would work in us and you would cause us to desire you above all else. That you would cause us to not desire the things of this world. That you would root out the sin and you would help us to repent of it and to, to walk with you. We just ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.